Thank you for joining us for today's show. You can follow us on Facebook or visit our website at BeatitudesChurch.org. Beatitudes Radio, empowering people to enrich society. I was recently asked what my family did on New Year's when I was a child, when I was growing up. And I, I, I paused and I thought, what did we do? Then it dawned on me. I was going to ask you this morning if you watched the Rose Parade before you came here. Of course you didn't because it's not on today, right? They're, the Rose Parade's honors a, a um, never-on-Sunday policy. And uh, because the churches along Colorado Boulevard want to have people be able to get to their services. And my grandmother, in fact, was one of those because her congregational church was uh, on Colorado Boulevard. If you're watching the Rose Parade, and maybe you will tomorrow, I certainly will, as the, as the floats come around and make the big turn and where all the TV cameras are and the big uh, bleachers are, if you look in the background, there are mountains. And at the foot of those mountains is a, a community called Altadena, north of Pasadena. That's where I grew up. I grew up in Altadena. So of course, New Year's in my family was the Rose Parade. So everything we did on New Year's happened to somehow be connected with the Rose Parade. My dad had a flatbed truck, a one-ton truck, and he'd park in the parking lot, and all my siblings and I and my cousins would climb on that truck, and we'd spend the night watching the lowriders and the hot rods and every other kind of vehicle you can think of go down Colorado Boulevard, which was the parade before the parade. So that was one thing we did. One year I sold programs. I was in Demolay. Any of you are familiar with Demolay? Hey, uh, I was in Demolay and we sold programs for the Rose Parade uh, actually all night long. So that year I had to keep from stepping on people who were sleeping in sleeping bags on the sidewalk. We were lucky as kids because we were up in the truck and didn't have to sleep on the street like one million people, by the way, view the Rose Parade. One million people lined up on that seven and a half mile uh, route for the Rose Parade. One year I marched in the Rose Parade with my high school band. High, at that time, Pasadena had two high schools. And the policy was that they would not march in the parade, that there wouldn't be local bands. Well, one year the wife of the president of the Tournament of Roses just happened to be the principal of one of those high schools. So they broke the rule and Pasadena High School marching band marched in the parade. Well, I went to John Muir High School, which was the other high school in Pasadena, and we put up such a fuss that they let us march the next year. My sister was a senior, I was a sophomore, and as far as I know, they've never, either of them marched in the parade since. It, we, we were the last entry into the parade, and behind us were the street sweepers, the pooper scoopers, and people holding all kinds of crazy signs. Watch on TV tomorrow and you might see that. 
but there were signs, people had signs that would say, repent, the end is near. Uh, and another one I remember was, Jesus is coming back, and boy, is he mad. My dad had a cousin who worked at the Huntington Sheraton Hotel, and she got tickets, last-minute tickets, to the Rose Bowl game. So my dad and I often had a couple of uh, tickets left after we sorted them out among our friends, so I got to go to the Rose Bowl games several times when I was young. The final story is after Georgiana and I met, we went over to for her to meet my parents. Well, if you watch tomorrow, you'll notice right down the middle of Colorado Boulevard is a pink line. There, there are lines across on the outside to keep the crowds off the, the main part of the street, but there's a pink line that runs right down the middle. And that's the line that the drivers of the floats look for so they don't go wander off and run over people on the side. They watch that pink line. Well, the first time Georgiana and I were over there to meet my parents, she was out driving and got lost. But she found the pink line. And she followed the pink line and was able to get home. There are other stories about New Year's Day and the Rose Parade, but I'm not going to tell you what they are. There's one more story, however, about New Year's that fits into the lesson for today. In the last part of the 1970s, I lived, my first church was in a, a town called Clarksburg, California. It was along the Sacramento River. And uh, as a part-time job, I lectured in a, a treatment center for alcoholics and other drug addicts. It was an inpatient treatment center in Sacramento. And my job there was to lecture on the second and the third steps of the AA program of the 12 steps. And those two steps were number two and number three. Number two is came to believe in a power greater than myself that could restore us to sanity. And the second step, the third step, is came to believe, or that was came to believe was a second step. The third step was turn our lives and our will over to the care of God as we understood him. And now as we read the charts of the patients there, there were little pieces of information about called periods of sobriety. And the patients needed to fill that in and say, have you had periods of sobriety? And they all did, and almost every one of them started on January 1st. Now, does that sound like a New Year's resolution to you? It did to me. January 1st, 1968. January 1st, 1971. January 1st, 1953. Always on January 1st. Now, those periods of sobriety never lasted very long. Maybe a couple of weeks, maybe a couple of months, but not very long. Many of these patients that started these periods of sobriety were engineers from Bechtel Corporation. Now, Bechtel at that time, and I think it's probably still true, at that time it was the largest construction company in the world. And Bechtel Corporation built dams and bridges and all kinds of things all over the world. And so these engineers 
were, were kind of world travelers, and they were often in countries, especially in the Middle East, where alcohol was forbidden. And they were here in this 30-day program for treatment of alcoholism. Now, they had all the resources available to them. Actually, Bechtel, the company, had sent them to get treatment and were paying for their treatment, this 30-day program. So they had all the resources they needed, but they ended up there anyway for 30 days, trying to stop the drinking that was destroying their lives, just threatening their health, threatening their finances, their relationships, and their jobs. You remember the episode in Star Wars, The Empire Strikes Back, when Luke Skywalker goes to find Yoda, who's the, the Jedi Master, who's going to teach him how to become a Jedi Knight, just like his father. Although his father became the evil Darth Vader, but Luke went to get the training that he needed, and he found the tasks very hard, and he got discouraged, and he kept complaining about how difficult it was to do what Yoda was telling him to do. But he was trying. He said, I'm trying, I'm trying. And Yoda, in his favorite, famous, squeaky voice, said, let's see if I can do it. Do or do not. There is no try. There is no try, what Yoda said. Well, I'm going to take exception to that today, because if we don't try, then we never do. It is in trying that we learn about ourselves, what we're capable of and what we perhaps are not capable of, because how will we ever know unless we try? Though I love singing, have sung in church choirs and chamber ensembles and barbershop choruses and quartets, I learned a rather painful lesson one Christmas Eve when I tried to sing a solo, O Holy Night. It was painful, not just for me, but for those who were listening. Had I not tried, I never would have known that I didn't have a solo voice, for sure, anyway, thereby saving the world from the pain and suffering of my warbling. As Tony and many of our colleagues will attest, there's a natural tendency to hold ministers up as role models. Role models for living the Christian life. Is that not why we're all here, is to learn how to live the Christian life? And we're held up as role models, I'm not sure why. I tend to, to go along with the declaration of our beloved Charles Barkley, who said, I am not a role model. But when I ask myself if I am living a Christian life, it soothes my guilty soul to say, I'm trying to, I'm trying to live a Christian life. I can't say I'm especially successful at that, but every now and then, perhaps more often accidentally, I do manage somehow to do something 
truly Christian, which is all any of us can ever hope for for ourselves. Today's lesson in Hebrews tells us that Jesus is the pioneer and perfecter of faith. Jesus is, after all, the, the one we look to for the example of how to live a Christian life. We, of course, are only kidding ourselves if we think that, that we or anyone else on the planet can ever even come close to living the way he did. The life that Jesus lived, as we find in the scriptures, leaves us wanting even a fraction of that spiritual connection that he had with the divine. So as we consider our desire to live a more Christian life, I would suggest to you and to myself that today on New Year's Day, we make a resolution to remember Jesus as the inspiration for our living, holding the perfection of his life and faith in our daily prayers, to love as he loved, to show compassion to the sick and the desperate and the discouraged and lost, to stand up to corrupt authority and injustice, to sit with those who are grieving, lonely, and fearful. There is no secret to living the Christian life. We've already seen it in the life and faith of the one whose name is above all others. Amen. Thank you for joining us for today's show. You can help us to continue this program by making your donations at BeatitudesChurch.org backslash online dash giving. Beatitudes Radio empowering people to enrich society.